Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Vail Schultz McColl, Technical Instructor of Early Childhood Education at Colorado Mesa University and Buell Fellow at Denver University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. As you were speaking, kind of thinking about this kind of connection to the community and building advocacy for supporting early childhood education and improving early childhood education, um, making people more aware of its importance. And uh, I have five children and uh, was just thinking about how, for me, the connection to their um, early teachers really served on many days as a bit of a, a lifeline, right? So um, my, I have three older children that there were, my oldest is about, well, she just turned 17. And then I have uh, twin boys that are 15. So they were kind of like their own little pod um, growing up, being so close in age and uh, there being three of them, you know, that kind of effort involved in just getting everybody finding their shoes and out the door in the morning. And very often it's their preschool teacher, kindergarten teacher, you know, these people in the beginning that are, you're maybe the first person that you see in the day asking Mm -hmm. how you are (laughs) as a mother and having a moment to just kind of, you know, smile at each other, check in and how the children are doing. Uh, So often they would have some kind of funny story to tell about something that was happening in the classroom. And we would just have these wonderful exchanges there as the kids were coming in and getting ready for their day. And you have that kind of peek into their world and how they're interacting with other students in the the classroom. And um, I found it, my husband and I adopted two more children in 2020 that were just uh, over two and one years old. So again, they're very close in age. And uh, I was reminded again through this experience how important those connections are with those early childhood educators in, um, you know, if you're having any kind of behavioral challenges at home or need some advice on, you know, what books they seem to be really responding to or what have you, that it's those individuals that have really served as um, a wonderful source of support and friendship. I'm in touch with many of their teachers still. Um, my oldest is still very good friends with her um, early childhood education teacher that she started seeing when she was just eight months old. Wow. And uh, so we've just ha- had this wonderful connection. And I know for many um, new parents, having that um, you know, those people in your lives is just huge. So I was very curious because I don't know all of the details of um, early childhood education curriculum. Um, if there is a component of that that really talks about creating that 
kind of relationship with the parents, um, you know, being that kind of person of comfort or support or advice. And uh, I was interested in any insights you have on, you know, how that's modeled or how students kind of come into that, or if it's something that these individuals, because they have a passion for young children, are kind of bringing that to the the table already. I would love to hear. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, congratulations, five, five in the family that keeps you busy. Okay. I have two. <laughs> And they, and they kept me busy enough when they were going uh, through school. But yeah. I would say thinking about um, that connection to other human beings, whether it's an adult or whether mm-hmm. it's a child, that's really something that we strategically work through and, and talk about all through the courses. And I don't know if you can see it on some of the, the public uh, e-portfolios, but that's part of their philosophy is they start out and they're really talking about the relationships and understanding that those relationships come first, because mm-hmm. if we don't have that relationship, learning just doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, it's very slow um, mm-hmm. and monotonous. It can really be a struggle. And so really thinking about how are we creating those relationships? So um, the other faculty and I, as well as our apprenticeship specialists, we really model for our students that we want those relationships because if we don't model it, they're not going to see it and they're not going to translate that into the classroom. And that's so key in these first eight years to have those relationships. In fact, as you were talking it reminded me that we have uh, a three credit class and all that class talks about is working with families and the community. And yeah. that's because it's that so important yeah. that we learn to accept people where they're at and the diversity, the beautiful diversity that comes in different areas from rural to metro to urban, um, as well as the family's views and ethnicity. And within early childhood, we really try to bring that in because we know that the we're creating lasting relationships just like what you talked about um i still have uh friendships with some of the families from you know 20 years ago when i started having a family home care and now these uh children that i observed and i cared for now have children of their own and i would say you know the portfolio also lends that level of professionalism Mm -hmm. because when others see you as a professional you see yourself as a professional and then those relationships can happen because you're showing mutual respect to each other and so definitely you know it's wonderful to hear that you had um, such great relationships uh, with your early childhood professionals yeah yeah oh I feel very lucky and I still have these just wonderful, you know, they're kind of like these little snap, little snapshots or little vignettes in my mind of my own memories from being in daycare and preschool. Like I'll never forget Mrs. Shields. Like she's just embedded in my, um, in my person. And I, I have these little glimpses of, you know, the water play, uh, and where that was, and it's, it all seems so big. And I've gone back and, and visited the, the daycare where I've got these memories and it's so tiny, but in my, <laughs> in my little vignette, 
know, it's this huge open open backyard and this big water table with all of the toys and you know it's this tiny little thing and it just gives us these wonderful um kind of reflective moments on you know our own childhood whenever we have these experiences with other little ones and um you know, I, I had a chance to read some of the reflections and one of them said something that um, kind of pulled at my heart a little bit because it was talking about how, you know, it is something for all of us, early childhood is this shared experience. So when they're going through this program and reflecting on, um, you know, the various course objectives and things, there's no way they won't have some kind of personal connection to it because they've been through that. And that's very different from some other learning outcomes that, uh, you know, one finds in other programs. It may not be something that they experience until, you know, much later on in their college career or out in the you know, working field. So I, I think that that's a really interesting kind of, com everyone's got some kind of common ground yeah. to, to pull from as they're going through these. And I was curious if there was a particular area within their um, e-portfolios that you always find maybe most joyful or interesting to read as they're kind of going through the program? Or is it something that really depends on the individual? I would say there's several in different classes. Um, mm -hmm. But the classes that we really see people reflecting more is one the guidance class where we talk about how were you raised? What are some mm. of the, the, the disciplines, the guidance that your parents uh, had? The other one would be the working with uh, parents, family, and community because we really talk about parents coming into the classroom. So we have this, this huge, uh, I would say disparity, but a difference between some students who were had families that were very involved and some who their their parents weren't able to come into the classroom. Right. And I would say probably the one I enjoy most is the human relations class, which I love to teach. And because we really start delving deeper into what is creating a relationship and how how did you see that as a young child how did it feel like when you went to teach your parent uh, uh conferences um how did you interact with other people in the community what you know how did your ethnicity impact you and so within that class we normally see people really starting to delve in and think about okay how did my experiences as a young child from birth all the way up to second grade, how did that really influence how I am today, what I enjoyed, what I didn't enjoy? Um, I have in the curriculum class, I always talk about math and I always have them reflect on that as well. And so it's interesting for me to see how some people reflect remember math as this horrible experience when they were, you know, in first and second grade, and that really carried through. And so within that curriculum class, I always have them do fun things with math. And then, 
you know, they kind of come to this awareness of like, wow, math can be fun. And I'm like, that's right. It can be fun. Now go stick it into your (laughs) e-portfolio. <laughs> or go go you know buy some blocks and go play with it but really yeah. trying to help them to remember that when they were young it was fun and so where did that shift happen where it shifted from being fun to being terrifying or uncomfortable and not wanting to do it anymore yeah yeah oh yeah do we all have universal stories to tell about math class i wonder I'm really curious. About that. Well, see, that's, I definitely have some. that would be a, a topic for for conversation because uh, you know you can bring it up at your your next dinner party, right? Right. So, what do you think about your math? Yeah. We, we actually created. We have a separate topics class now that is just science and math. And uh, the other faculty, Stephanie, teaches it and does a great job with starting out with that reflection on science and math and what did you like and what didn't you like. And she said, you'd be amazed at, you know, the different perceptions that really started early on, you know, in those early years and how they really got got set in our brains. And then now we're trying to unlearn what we think we learned so that we can enjoy it again and, and enjoy science and math. I'm, I'm kind of a math nerd and I'm kind of a science nerd. I, I enjoy them both. Um, but then I had really positive experiences when I was young and I still remember them in kindergarten, first and second grade of going and exploring butterflies and watching them turn into caterpillars or caterpillars into butterflies. I was mm-hmm. backwards um, and ladybugs and having a garden and watching things grow and really those positive experiences. Um, and for math, it was cooking. My grandmother always had me cooking. And so it was fun. But then again, you know, hear how early childhood really impacts us yeah. much later yeah. in life that we don't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Um, so I was curious, um, you know, being in Colorado, are there specific things that you are finding are um, challenges that you know, you have some awareness that your, your teachers, I know not all of them are going to be staying in the area, but I imagine some of them do. Are there some things about being in Colorado or, or Grand Junction specifically that you hope that you can kind of encourage or motivate your students to, to work to address? I, I, I often talk to educators because they have this connection to the community, um, you know, are hoping that they're going to, you know, light some fire under the kind of next generation of students that's going out into that community to, to work to improve. Do you have some of those um, kind of um, attachments or challenges or, or maybe things that you're just hoping that they continue to build upon within the area? Wow, that was a huge question. I have so many answers. Well, um, we have time. So. <laughs> well, I would have to say um, it's really exciting uh, here in Colorado. Uh, we have a governor that's really supportive of early childhood education. And so has really put that on the forefront and has put what 
I would call teeth behind it, meaning mm-hmm. I'm not just telling you to do something. I'm actually going to put money towards it and effort. Nice. Yes, and that's so, always helpful. <laughs> um, we have Universal Preschool that is starting mm-hmm. um, this month. Um, that they've rolled out and it's only, uh, all four year, it's for four year olds and it's 15 hours a week, um, that the state is helping with assistance for that. And, you know, it's, again, it's that starting level. And so we're super excited about that. Um, and looking forward to how that's going to roll out and the impacts both for teachers and families and young children. Um, the other one was the apprenticeship, which I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, we're seeing great strides regarding people seeing themselves as professionals and drawing in others who may not have joined had we not had the apprenticeship program or or who are going on for further education. Mm-hmm. So that's super exciting. So we're hoping that that will continue on. Um, I would say in the state of Colorado, because we have such diversity from rural to mountain to yeah. urban to metro, that there's... Uh, a huge variety from where our students come from in our area here in Grand Junction and they go rural or urban or metro sometimes Mm -hmm. even into the mountain towns which you know that can be challenging because you could live in a mountain town where there is not uh, a child care facility there's only family child care homes and so helping them to navigate those and to figure out where is your niche Um, I found for myself as I was going through my experiences that I love teaching preschool. I love teaching kindergarten. I love teaching first grade, second grade, not so much infant toddlers. I love to go and visit the classrooms and help out, but that was not my niche. And I think it's really important that we help teachers to recognize where are their strengths and let's play to those strengths, right? that this is super important. And personally, one of my passions is children in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just went to the children in nature uh, network uh, conference that was here in Estes Park. And it was amazing. And I got to meet Richard Louvre, who wrote Last Child in the Woods. Um, And really the impact that we're seeing regarding when children don't have, aren't in touch with nature. We're very blessed here in Colorado because we have the mountains and we tend to be an outdoor state. So but even though, yeah, even though we do, we still have metro areas where families may not have any green spaces, right? There could be a tree and that's pretty much it, or maybe a little bit of grass. But that's something that I work into my classes is really thinking about how are we helping children and families to get in touch with nature? How are we encouraging them to understand the cycle of growth, um, fruition, like for an apple tree, and Mm. then that time for sleeping that that tree needs in order to produce again that next year? Um, Because in my view, if children don't understand that cycle of nature and don't feel connected to it, then they have less respect for it. And then we have a negative impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I really try to work in with my classes is how are you bringing in nature, which links directly to science and math. And then how are you showing value for that? And how are you understanding not only the value of nature, but how it impacts your own health and wellness? 
Mm-hmm. You know, are you getting out in nature? Are you going for a walk? Are you doing what they call tree bathing uh, or forest bathing? Oh, I love, getting yes. out? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I love the idea. It's one in one of the Asian countries. I can't remember if it's Japan or somewhere in China that you can actually get a, a prescription now from your doctor that if to your mental health. Time. Oh, wow. Yeah. If your mental health is not good or your physical health is not good, they will actually write you prescriptions and your um, employer has to honor that. So if it says you have to take an hour out in nature during the day, well, they have to give you that hour during your lunch break. So you have time to go to a green space and Mm -hmm. walk or exercise or just, you know, be close with nature. And I, I really value that because I think as we continue to move forward, as much as I love technology, for me, it's that balance of if I'm going to be on the computer and working with things, yes, it makes my life easier. It makes it better. I love, you know, having access to online classrooms. The e-portfolio is great, but I need to take the equivalent of that time and go out into the garden, go take my dog for a walk. Just appreciate the fact that I have praying mantis crawling on my window or ladybugs or butterflies flitting around. Um, And then just really valuing that. That is, that is one of my soapboxes, I guess you would say. It's a very important soapbox. I'm so glad that it is. And thank you. uh, And thank you for sharing that too. And you were kind of speaking to this um, balance and it was reminding me of some other parts of your um, biography where you were kind of talking about, you know, some of the other balances that you have in your life, you know, appreciating quiet space as much as you appreciate all of the kind of um, active activity and noises of the classroom. And Um, I think it's a valuable perspective for you to be able to bring in as you're speaking to your kind of current cohorts of future teachers and also giving them the opportunity to model that for their own students as well. You know, we we can't always exist in the, the extremes of either end. You know, we need to have that kind of balance to be happy, um, happy human beings. And that's what we want. I want my, if my teachers are happy, then that lends to the children and the families being happy. And that, that just makes everybody's life a whole lot easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Now there was one other area um, within the e-portfolios that I wanted to touch on. Again, I mentioned I have uh, five children and some of them have special needs and very often it's in the early childhood years that some of those special needs start to become more apparent. And I was curious what kind of um, preparation the students receive in your program to kind of handle um, maybe becoming aware of the possibilities that some special needs may arise and how they um, get educated and how to maybe communicate some of those things to parents, because I know that that was really important in our experience as parents too, and would love to hear, um, your insights and how that is kind of integrated into your program too. Cause I can see it in there. Very <laughs> well, I'm glad you can see it in there. So we, we build into the, 
each of the classes we taught, we have a little bit of discussion about it because we know it's important, again, you know, that scaffolding of learning, mm-hmm. um, as well as allowing them to delve into things that they're more interested in. We do talk about it. We do have a three credit class at the two, uh, two year level that's called exceptionalities, mm-hmm. where we delve much, much deeper into the variety of developmental differences. And sometimes that recognition of it may be delayed, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just takes a little bit longer or somebody may need some additional assistance, Mm -hmm. right? For a couple years. And the, the idea that these students are exceptional, right? It doesn't matter. They're still human beings. We still love them. Um, They're still a valued part of the community. So where can we find their strengths? So it's really a strengths-based class, even Mm -hmm. though we talk about where delays might happen, where they need additional assistance. We're still looking at um, where are their strengths, um, identifying those students who may be what we call twice exceptional. So they may mm-hmm. have a delay in one area, but they may really excel in another. Um, I always share with my students a little girl that uh, I worked with for a couple years who was what we would call twice exceptional. And by the time she was in kindergarten, she could write an essay at a high school level, but yeah. she struggled with understanding boundaries like mm-hmm. being able to understand hello and goodbye and shaking right. hands or even the boundary of this is my plate of food. You may not pick off right. of it. <laughs> um, yes. Right. Yes. And really understanding it. So that class really focuses on it. We talk about it more in working with parents, family and community, as well as with student teaching. I always encourage them to go into a classroom, which may have more integration than others. And one of the exciting things that happened, and I was glad you brought this up, was that um, when I first started at CMU, uh, one of the things that we really wanted to do was have a bachelor's with a teacher licensure in early childhood. Mm -hmm. And so as we continue to work and strive towards that, I was connected with uh, Dr. Gillies, who came to work at teacher licensure and who had a great passion for early childhood special education, you know, honoring that diversity. And so several years ago, after many years of work, we were able to get a bachelor's in early childhood with an endorsement in special education with nice. a teacher licensure for kindergarten through second grade. And so that was a huge win for us. And then this year, we're, we've modified it a little bit because we found out we have people that are taking our classes that don't want to teach in a kindergarten, first and second grade mm-hmm. level, that they want to work in social work or they want to be at uh, the courthouse as an advocate. So now we have another one that's a bachelor's um, in early childhood education with the special education endorsement, but it just doesn't have a teacher licensure. And that really is to value those people who understand the importance of early childhood, who want to have that deeper understanding of children with diverse needs, um, but just don't want to teach in the school district. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's wonderful to hear that that is in place and that there is that interest from other areas too. Um, 
I know with our uh, kind of foster to adoption process, without the uh, support of the social worker and some of the early childhood educators, you know, as new parents, you know, we may not have known about, you know, early intervention kinds of supports that were available within our state. So this, this level of knowledge and connections to different people in the community is just huge for parents. And, you know, one of our boys needed um, speech intervention and um, you would never know it now going into first grade, but it just made such a difference. So. Right, and if you have teachers who understand this right off the bat, then yeah. you get that great intervention. Exactly. And then as they continue on through school, they're they they're right up there with their peers and growing and learning without feeling like, oh, I can't do this or this is too hard or I don't know what's wrong with me type. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you, Vale, so much for your time today. It was really wonderful to have this opportunity for some one-on-one -on -one time with you to learn more about you and your program and your use of e-portfolios, of course. And um, it's wonderful to hear how this is benefiting your students as they're getting prepared to go into their own classrooms. And I hope it will continue to be a, a big benefit for your program as well as you're working with your students to get them prepared. And um, I hope we can stay in touch. Um, it's really exciting to see how it's evolved from the um, beginning days, you know, as our platform continues to evolve to address the needs of the different kinds of schools and programs that we work with. Um, it's always a joy to see how the actual resulting e-portfolios are evolving too in the way that teachers like you are using them. So thank you so much for, for joining me today, Vail. Well, thank you. I, I fully enjoyed our chat. And of course, anytime, yeah. you know, I get to stand on my soapbox for nature and children, <laughs> I'm, I'm there and it's been lovely chatting with you. So thank you so much for having me. Very well. Thank you. Talk mm -hmm. to you soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. This concludes our conversation. To hear our next episode, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversations series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.